You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, the theme, especially running through the Old Testament and the Gospel, is the theme of temptation. First, in the Garden of Eden, when the devil comes to tempt Adam and Eve, and then in the wilderness of Judea, when the devil comes to tempt Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these two texts... Genesis 3 and Matthew 4 are texts that we ought to give such careful attention to and really, in fact, study our entire lives to try to understand what is going on in the text. And it's going to give us chiefly two things. First, wisdom, and then comfort. But wisdom, especially first, to understand how it is that the devil works because we see in the temptation of Adam and Eve and in the temptation of Jesus that the devil has a pattern that he follows to bring temptations also to us. So we want to be wise to the devil's tactics. St. Paul says we are not ignorant of his devices. We want, to, we want to leave here this morning less ignorant of the devil's devices. We want to know more about how he works. But it's not only to know how the devil works, but also to have the wisdom of how the devil is resisted. We can't learn that from Adam and Eve. <laughs> They failed, but we can learn it from Jesus. So that's the wisdom that the Holy Spirit has for us. But there's also comfort. We'll, we'll get that, to that in the end. But we want to know also that Jesus, when he was in the wilderness fighting against the devil, he was not simply there uh, to show us how to do it. He was, he, he was our example, for sure. I don't, we don't want to under, uh, underplay that. But, but he's more than our example. He's there in our place. He's there as our champion, as the one who who fights for us, as the one who holds the field forever. So we want to have the confidence that Jesus has overthrown the devil's kingdom. So first we'll look at the Old Testament and the temptation of Eve. There is a certain anatomy to a temptation. James says it like this. This is James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. James writes, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. This is just simply how, how sin goes. It begins in the heart with desire, and then when it's conceived and gives birth, it's sin, and then an active sin or neglect or something like this. And then when sin grows up all the way, it leads to death. So with this in mind, we see the devil's strategy. The first thing the devil does is he comes and he finds Eve in the garden. She must have been close to the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil. And the devil asks Eve, did God really say you shouldn't eat from any of the trees in the garden. Now, this is ridiculous. I mean, God said you can eat all the trees in the garden except for one. But we see already in that opening statement what the devil is going to try to do. Number one, he's going to try to put Eve above God's word so that she is now standing in as a, as a judge of what God said. And number two, the devil is going to pit God against Adam and Eve as if the devil has... As if God wants their wickedness and the devil wants their good. Something like that. So already you start to see the strategy in the very first volley. But 
Eve answers and says, no, the Lord says that we can eat from all the trees in the garden, but only you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, I want maybe just to point this out in passing, and maybe because I'm not 100% sure what exactly to do with it, but to notice that the instructions that God gave to Adam before Eve was created are slightly modified here by Eve. So God had said to Adam, you shall not eat it on the day that you eat of it. Uh, it says in the English, surely you will die. It's, uh, it's dying you will die in the Hebrew. There'll be a, on the day that you eat of it, there will be a double death. And that's important because, because the Lord was warning Adam and Eve that there was going to be both spiritual death and physical death on the day that they ate of the tree. Uh, uh, maybe one aside, aside to an aside. It, it's important because a lot of times I think we think of the, the fruit in the garden as like the poisoned apple from the, from the fairy tale. Like you eat the poisoned apple and then you die. But it wasn't, it, the poison wasn't in the, in the apple. The apple was, or, or the fruit, we should say. The fruit was good for food. The poison wasn't there. The danger was in the command of God. And God did not say that when you eat it, you will die. God said on the day that you eat of it, surely you will die. Dying you will die. In fact, it turns out that Adam and Eve had already begun to die before they even ate. But when they doubted God's word. You see, that's the, that's the main thing there. So Eve, Eve repeats back the prohibition to the devil, but it's a little bit off. And the devil sees his opening, and so he comes in for the second attack. Verse 4 in Genesis 3, the devil says, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, again, we, we can spend our whole life studying this attack of the devil, and we ought to study it more, but just quickly in passing, no, notice what the Lord or what the devil does to try to set Adam and Eve especially against God. First, you will not surely die. In other words, the devil calls God a liar, straight up. God's lying to you. You won't die. And then the devil imputes a false motive to God. God knows that when you eat of it, you will become like him. And so that the devil comes to Adam and to Eve and says that the Lord lied to you and this is why he lied. This is why he's telling you not to eat of it, because he knows that if you eat of it, you will be like him. You will be his equal. The thing, now notice that the thing that the devil always wanted, right, to be equal with God, the thing that caused his own rebellion and his fall, is what now he tempts Adam and Eve to do. And then he offers, he, he entices Eve with the result of eating the fruit. He says, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And this is the essence of temptation, right there. Is that the devil comes and he sees where your desires and where my desires are different from what God commands of us. And he takes advantage of the gap of desire. You want this. Look at how good it is for you. You want this thing. But God says you can't have it. 
And when the devil has already done this thing, and he says, and God has said you can't have it because he's selfish or mean or doesn't care about you or whatever it is because he's, he's jealous because he doesn't want you to be his equal or whatever, the, the, here's the, the, the Lord's false motives for separating you from that thing that you want most of all. So you ought to rebel against God, rebel against his command, reach out your hand and take that thing which is forbidden, grab a hold of it, eat the fruit, and you will know good and evil. Now, the really terrible thing about this whole mess is that the tree did give Adam and Eve the knowledge of good and evil, but the only thing they didn't know was evil. They already knew good. In fact, God looked at Adam and Eve after he created them and said not only were they good, but that they were very good. Adam and Eve knew good. The only knowledge the tree brought then was the knowledge of evil. And it was not just the knowledge of evil that was around them, but it was the knowledge of evil in themselves that they had become. They took the fruit. Eve took the fruit. She ate it. She gave them to her husband. He ate it. Their eyes were opened. They saw they were naked. They sewed together fig leaves, and they went and hid. Now, this is really, really quite terrible. It's what we call the, the fall into sin. And it's amazing to think of how far they fell and how they brought the entire universe with them. Before Adam and Eve could stand before God in innocence and delight. But now, look what happens. They hear the sound of the Lord in the garden and they run from God. And we've, ta- we've talked about this a lot Because this, I think, is the picture of spiritual death. Because we notice that when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they didn't immediately fall over dead, but they did die in the most important part of them. Their hearts and their consciences and their souls and their righteousness and the image of God that they had is totally abolished and crushed. So that instead of standing before God and delighting in the presence of God, now they run from God. They turn and run from God. If there's ever a more horrifying verse in the Bible, I don't know what it is. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I hid myself because I knew that I was naked. That's how Adam speaks to God. I just imagine this. I think I've told you guys this before, but if, if, if I, I just imagine like, so if I came home and, and my children heard me coming home And they ran and hid from me because they thought I was coming home. Because they thought I was coming home to 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 kill them. That's what Adam and Eve think. That God is coming to destroy them. They're running in utter fear, trembling. At the sound of God. They should have heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. They should have run to that sound. The sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day should have been the great, should have been the most beautiful sound that they could hear, the thing they were longing most for. And yet they hear the sound of the Lord and they turn and they run. Now that is death. That is spiritual death. And that is the condition that Adam and Eve have passed on to you and to me. So the temptation works. Eve sees the fruit, that it's good for food, 
that it's a delight for the eyes, that it's desirable to make one wise. And here's the thing that we don't want to miss about this before we move on to what the Lord does about it. And that is that Eve was judging this fruit not according to the word of God, but rather according to her own senses, especially her own eyes. If she was looking at that fruit through the word of God, she would have said, that fruit is death. But instead of judging the fruit through the word of God, she was judging the fruit through her own wisdom, and she says, that fruit looks good. Now, this is the danger for us. I mean, this is the... Again, the essence of temptation is that the Lord has put, there's things that are put in front of us and the Lord's word says, that's bad, that leads to death, or that's good, you ought to do that. But instead of, instead of regarding one another and all of the things in front of us according to the Lord's word, we regard them according to what we see and what we think. Our own reason now stands above the word of God. And the devil makes God seem like the bad guy in this whole deal. Like God is the one who doesn't want us to have all of our heart's desires. So the Lord finds them. He finds them, uh, he finds them dressed, uh, dressed in their fig leaves. The only good joke that I ever made was about these fig leaves, but I'm going to tell it in Bible class, not here. So you have to come to Bible class. He finds them their fig leaves. And these fig leaves are now a picture of all of our man-made attempts to cover our own sin and our own shame with our own works. Every religion in the world is a fig leaf religion, trying to cover up our sin with our own efforts. And they seem like they're doing just fine until the sound of the Lord comes along and then you look at the fig leaves and you say, they're not enough. I can't stand these fig leaves on the day of judgment. So they're hiding in the bushes. And notice also that when God finds them, He finds Adam and Eve together with the serpent, with the devil himself. That they were running from God, but they were running with the devil. They were afraid of God. In fact, they were afraid of God. They hated each other. They were scared of the world. The only friend that Adam and Eve thought they had in the whole world was the devil. It's frightful. And God finds them and He lines them up and He starts with Adam and He says, and He says, where are you? And Adam says, I heard you. I heard the sound of you in the garden and I hid because I was naked and I was afraid. And God says, how do you know you're naked? Did you eat the tree? that I told you not to eat from. And then look what Adam says. The woman who you gave to me, don't miss the malice in his voice, the woman that you gave to me. And do you remember how happy Adam was the first time he saw Eve? <laughs> bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Her name is woman because she was taken from the side of man. And Adam and Eve had delight in one another. But now there's this anger and hatred. The woman that you gave to me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. So God turns to Eve and says, what have you done? And she said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So then God turns to the serpent and gives us the biggest surprise in the entire Bible. He doesn't ask the serpent. He doesn't let the devil talk. The devil doesn't say anything. You've done enough talking already. The Lord simply turns to the devil and preaches to him. First, his own condemnation. Because you have done this, go on your belly. And then this great promise. Genesis 3.15. 
the, the fountain of all the good news of the Old Testament, the proto-evangelion, the first gospel preaching, the Lord says to the devil, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head and you will crush your heel. Now, it's a riddle to us, but it's unraveled, or unriddled very quickly by simply noting that the Lord is promising that Eve would have a child herself without the help of a man who would not only be able to resist the devil, but actually destroy the devil, crush the devil's head, and the seed of the devil, that is, death and sin. But in that crushing, he himself will also be crushed. So right here in this text, we have the promise of the gospel. We have the promise of the incarnation of the Son of God, that God would come into our flesh, that he would suffer death, and that in his dying he would destroy the devil and sin and death, and that he would do this all for us. So that not only, now don't miss this, that God says that not only on the day that you eat of it, surely you will die, but in fact, on the day that you eat of it, also I will die. God himself will share in the death that Adam and Eve deserved to save them from that death. Now, this is stunning and beautiful. And this, this verse, this theme, and this preaching weaves its way all the way through the Scriptures. The seed of the woman here is the same seed that God promises to Abraham. In your seed, all the nations will be blessed. To Isaac, your seed will be a blessing to the Gentiles, to, jo- uh, to Jacob, and to Judah. And then to King David, your seed will sit on the throne forever, 2 Samuel 7. This is the line, the preaching that runs all the way through the Old Testament and the prophets until you get to the New Testament. And most especially we see it in the text that we have today, where now the seed is born and he takes up the work of crushing the head of the serpent. So that Jesus will keep this promise. Jesus will have his heel crushed and will crush the devil. Jesus will stand where Adam and Eve fell. Jesus will resist where they could not, or at least where they did not. Jesus will conquer and bring life and immortality. And and for you and for me, the Holy Spirit wants us to see the details. So, so, we have an account of how Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4, and also in Luke. Uh, Mark, he, when Mark tells us about the temptation of Jesus, it just says he was tempted by every temptation, and then the angels ministered to him. But the Holy Spirit does not want us to miss how the temptation went down. So we have it in Matthew chapter 4. Now, the context here is the baptism of Jesus. Jesus goes to be baptized by John in the Jordan River. And in that baptism, he's put into the office of Messiah. He's anointed to be the Savior of the world. And immediately when he comes out of his baptism, he's driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. Now we want to know that this battle with the devil then comes immediately on the, uh, on the heels of Jesus starting to do his work. But we don't want to miss this either And that is that we are also baptized into this battle with the devil. We we maybe sometimes think that when we're baptized, we're now kind of safe. I suppose the gifts that baptism gives 
are really quite wonderful, and we should think of them this way, that, he, that we're rescued from sin, death, and the devil, and all these sorts of things. But when we're baptized, you are set in opposition to the devil, in opposition to his kingdom, and the real fight begins. I think it was Luther or someone sounding an awful lot like Luther who said that when you're marked with the sign of the cross on your forehead and your heart at the sign of, at, uh, uh, at your baptism, that it's like being marked by a target for the devil. It's like a bullseye. So he knows where to shoot his darts. Now, we notice also that there's a theme that runs through the temptation, and that is that when the devil comes to Jesus, he's, he says, if you are the Son of God, Remember, those are the words that the Father spoke to Jesus from the clouds when he was baptized. You are my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And and so the devil comes to tempt Jesus to doubt the words that God spoke in his baptism. If you are the Son of God is how the devil does it. Excuse me. And the text tells us that the temptation of Jesus comes most especially after 40 days of fasting. And then, so we don't miss it, it says that Jesus was hungry. Now, I I think this is kind of purposely understated because I get hungry after about 40 minutes of fasting. I don't know how it is for you. But 40 days, this is a a long time and Jesus is hungry and he's thirsty and he's weak. And, and, And the text wants to remind us of his humanity. I mean, that this was a true temptation. That when the devil said to Jesus, why don't you turn the stones into bread? Jesus didn't say, oh, I'm not that hungry. <laughs> I don't need bread. No, he wanted it. Okay, so the first temptation. Jesus, Jesus is there. He's hungry. The devil comes to him and he thinks, well, food worked the first time with Adam and Eve. <laughs> so let's try it with Jesus. But, but here, there's something again more. There's a, there's a spiritual truth uh, that we don't want to miss, and that is that the way that the devil tempts us is, is he, he wants to exploit the gap between our desires and what we have, what God has given. So, so in, the, in the garden, here's the fruit. You want the fruit, but God said you can't have the fruit. So now to Jesus in the wilderness, here's some bread. It's just right here. Why don't you take it? But God hasn't given it. He exploits the gap between what we want and what we don't have, and he tries to set God against us and our desires. Now, Jesus responds quite wonderfully, quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, what this does not mean is that we don't have to eat bread, but that there's something more important than bread. Here's the whole verse from Deuteronomy 8. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandment or not. And he humbled you, and he let you you hunger, and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, again, there is a lot here, but it is enough for us to note that to live by the words that march out of the mouth of God is to wait for the Lord to provide. It is to trust in His promises. Jesus says, I will not be driven by my stomach, I will not be driven by my desires, but I will trust in the Lord and in His word. 
So then the devil brings a second temptation to jump off the top of the temple. Now the second temptation is the devil's, he tries to misuse the word of God. It's the, did God really say temptation? The devil comes to Jesus. I mean, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, so the devil says, well, I can play that game too. I know the Bible. I can quote the scriptures. And he comes and he quotes Psalm 91. It's written. That you will throw yourself down and his angels will guard you and they will not allow you to lift up, to to dash your foot against a stone. We had the verses from Psalm 91 were the gradual today. The verses that the devil quotes. But you'll notice that the devil leaves out an important little phrase when he quotes the verse. And that phrase is, in all of your ways. He will keep you in all of your ways. Now, that's a key, key phrase in the text. The promise that the Lord is giving us in Psalm 91 is that as we go about our work and vocations that the Lord has given us to do, He will send His old holy angels to watch over us and protect us so that no harm will come to us until our work is finished. He has not promised that you can go skydiving without a parachute and you won't die. That's not the Lord's promise. The Lord's promise is that when you're doing the things that He has set you to do, you are immortal until God is done with you. Now, that's a nice comfort. Your life is in His hands. Now, that does not mean that we're just to go out and do all sorts of crazy... We're not supposed to jump off the pinnacles of temples and stuff like that. We're supposed to go about all our ways, the things that the Lord has has given us to do. And we're supposed to do these things unafraid. Knowing that until our time is up, we are safe and our lives are secure. Jesus was ordained not to jump off of spires, but rather to be the Savior of the world. So he quotes back to the devil, Deuteronomy 6, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Then comes the third temptation. It is, it's good for us to imagine this, that the devil takes Jesus up onto a tall mountain and then he puts before him, somehow, you can't, there's no mountain that's tall enough to see all the world, of course, so he puts before him in a vision or something like this, all the kingdoms of the world and all their riches, and the devil says to Jesus, you can have all of this if you would just fall down and worship me. Now, I don't know what you, I think this is maybe, I don't know what you expect for Jesus to say, but what he says is not what I expect. I expect Jesus to say something like, devil, what are you talking about? This whole place belongs to me in the first place. I'm God. Remember that part about not tempting the Lord your God? Well, I was talking about me. You shouldn't be tempting me because I am the Lord. All of these things belong, all the nations are mine. In the depths of the sea, he holds in his hands. He created the whole world. He he has all of these nations. He should say to the devil, what are you talking? You can't give them to me. They, They belong to me already. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't. And this is because Jesus is coming not to restore the dominion of God, but to restore the dominion of man. To restore the dominion of Adam and Eve the dominion that they lost when they fell in the garden. Remember how the Lord said to Adam and Eve, I give you dominion over all these things? Well, that was lost in the fall. And Jesus comes to recover that. 
Now, there's something here too that the devil knows this, and so he says to Jesus, you can have this without going through all the trouble, without the suffering, without the death, without the cross. But Jesus responds, be gone, Satan. It's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Jesus knows that every temptation is a temptation to break the first commandment, a temptation to have another God. And so he ends with this fantastic verse, you shall worship the Lord your God, him only you shall serve, and with that the devil is beaten back, and he leaves, Luke tells us, until an opportune time, until he comes back in Judas to betray Jesus and get him to the cross. Now again, this text And now you're looking at your watch and you said, I thought he was joking about the hour-long sermon. (laughs) We want to remember that this text for us gives us wisdom and comfort, and so we'll end with that, summarizing what it is. First, it gives us this wisdom. We see the devil's strategy. We're not ignorant of his devices. We, We recognize his voice and how he works. That he comes to us and he says, oh, you want this thing, but God doesn't want you to have it? Well, that's because God is a meanie. You should do it anyways. That's the basic form of temptation. And when we see it, we recognize that's what the devil is doing. Or the devil comes to cause us to, to, to twist or to doubt God's word. Did God really say? Are you sure that's what the text says? And so we doubt the word and we lose our certainty and the devil is one. Or the devil tempts us to shortcuts. You can have all that you want in this life. You can have all these great things. If only you will deny the Lord. <laughs> that's, that's the devil. We recognize it. And then the second piece of wisdom is in how Jesus fights the devil back. Jesus does not fight the devil back with his strength. He doesn't transfigure himself like we had a couple of weeks ago and shine forth in his glory so that the devil has to hide his eyes and run off. No. Jesus stands in the wilderness and he fights back the devil with something even more wonderful. That's the Lord's word. The armor of light. This is how the Lord intends for the devil to be overcome. In the weakness of his word preached. I mean, if there's nothing else that we take away from the text, it is that we should probably all go back and read Deuteronomy again. Because the devil is completely driven away by Jesus when he holds that book in his hands and in his heart. And then at last, there's the comfort. And the comfort for us is this. That even our first parents, Adam and Eve, in their, glory, in their perfection, didn't resist the devil but that our Lord Jesus did. He there in the wilderness was our champion. He was standing where Adam and Eve fell. And his perfection in the garden, his his righteousness, his passive righteousness that he didn't sin in any way, and his active righteousness that he did everything right, his passive righteousness in that he suffered all of these things from the devil, and his active righteousness in that he perfectly kept God's law, that righteousness of Jesus demonstrated in the garden, that righteousness is what Jesus imputes to you. So that God considers you to be as holy and righteous as Christ our Lord is, and that where Jesus stood in the garden, or stood in the wilderness, that standing is also given to you. So that God the Father looks at you and sees you as holy and perfect in every way. 
so that you now are set in this world to overcome the devil. Romans is into Paul ends Romans in Romans chapter 16. It says that the God of peace will shortly crush Satan under your feet. Imagine your feet. That the it's that the that our God is not only pleased to crush the devil under the feet of Jesus, but he also crushes him under your feet. Or this verse from James chapter 4, where James writes, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We, we, we saw this horrible picture in the, in the beginning of the sermon with Adam and Eve fleeing from God. But now, but now, because of the victory of Jesus, because of his word and because of his blood, because of his death and because of his resurrection, now, when you stand and resist the devil, it's the devil who is running away from you. From you. Scared. Because the one who has overcome him now is with you, stands with you, guards you, and keeps you, your Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.